Hello, welcome to The Freedom Factor, a podcast dedicated to exploring freedom and truth. From medical freedom, to freedom of speech and movement, to religious and spiritual freedom. In a time when our freedoms are being threatened at every turn, many of us are forming a collective space where we can share truth and knowledge without the fear of being canceled or censored. Fortunately, as we've seen throughout history, there are those brave souls who dare to speak out and stand against the tyranny that is threatening to overtake all of us. You will meet some of those brave souls here on The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Iowans for Freedom. If you haven't subscribed to The Freedom Factor, please do. You can follow us right now on Podbean or Spotify. And please subscribe to our mailing list at iowansforfreedom.org. That's Iowans, the number four, freedom.org. Today, our special guest is Iowa House Representative John Jacobson. John really stands for truth and freedom, which is what this show is about. John recently drafted a medical freedom bill with Representative Mark Cisneros, which would, in essence, end vaccine mandates and passports in Iowa. This is what we're going to be discussing today. Welcome to the show, John. Well, Oliver, it's great to be with you and your audience. Uh, Terrific opportunity to shed some light today. Sunshine's the greatest of all disinfectants. That's for sure, in more ways than one, huh? Indeed. So tell us about... um, Tell us about your bill. You know, I, I read the second draft. I don't think I've seen anything else on it, but people are asking me about it. They're they're anticipating the final product. Sure, Oliver. Well, we're really in our full week two of the legislature, and the task force, of course, put together its bill after the first of the year was introduced, and then it was sent to LSA uh, by our tremendously friendly and helpful chairman, Bobby Kaufman at state government. And the process is procedurally LSA, which I call it Iowa's deep state. The whole other show sometimes, sometimes, but for purposes of this discussion, LSA turns around a draft and they don't always uh, nail it precisely the first time around because they're doing their best to ascertain what your motives are and where you're trying to go, obviously, sometimes that's a process of information that that is ongoing. It kind of develops. So we had a good first draft back, but there are a few things they didn't get right because they never take these bills verbatim. They have to integrate them in the code, so they have to figure out what code section to which they're going to sign the language and to make sure that Terms, definitional terms used there are not inconsistent with those words elsewhere in the code. So we got a first draft back, needed to make some changes. The second draft that came back mirrored almost precisely what we wanted to do. Again, no bill can can be introduced without it going through legislative services agency because of the numbering and the nomenclature process and all of that. 
Okay, um, and I was going to ask you for our listeners what LSA st- stood for. So it's Legislative, yeah, legislative Serv- Services. Yeah, Legislative Services Agency. And they are a bureaucratic wing of the legislature. Several hundred people, mostly lawyers, all drafting has to go through them. You cannot just introduce a bill. It has to go through LSA and be printed by LSA. And so sometimes you have wrangling because they may not like the way stylistically you've written the bill or how some of the sentences are put together vis-a-vis other uh, language parts and things like that. So we got a good, clean second draft several days ago this week. And with some final tweaking to that, including making sure that it was titled properly, today the task force approved the final language that LSA had developed after consultations with us, making sure that what we wanted was in there. And so now Chairman Bobby Kaufman has the bill. And because it's a protected House study bill, that means Chairman Kaufman is protecting the bill as a House study bill for the state government committee. He uh, had Cisneros and me head up the task force that did this process of drafting this bill over about 16 meetings. And so now that gets filed. And that was the citizen task force, by the way, Oliver. We kicked the lobby out and brought the people in. That's awesome. Yeah. Walks of life. So what's a, what's a house protected task force bill? Yeah. What I asked for, as you know, the first special session we had in October, we had nothing on this issue. And I took to the floor and said, uh, we were not John F. Kennedy that day, who said, we do these things not because they're easy, but because they are hard. We didn't do anything hard that first day. We took a dive. And I was very frustrated because back in April, when I warned predictively what would happen with the mandates, with employers, my two amendments in April were shrugged off. And they said, that'll never happen. And uh, if so, and, and the wild chance it happens, we can deal with it in special session. I spoke out against the vaccine passport ban bill in April as well, and I said, "You yeah, know, we're going to yeah, we're going to have we're going to have medical discrimination, a new type of legalized discrimination and segregation, and that's what we've had." Um, absolutely, you're you're absolutely correct. And so the second special session, October twenty eighth, basically. I said what we were doing October 28th wasn't near enough either. And well, you didn't I just asked, say that. You didn't just say that. You went into the, a long discourse on the Nuremberg Code because I was sitting I, there. I, I, I did, yeah. And I, it was, I did, it was powerful. Well, thank you, Oliver. You know, here, here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. If you look at legal ethics throughout time immemorial, there are certain bedrock principles. And of course, all good legal ethics derives from positive law, which derives from natural law, which derives from divine law. The first rule in law is no coercion. If you touch someone physically in the law or even threaten to touch them physically, we call that assault, you know? Right, And right. Uh, even technically, surgery is an assault. You have to give consent. You know what? And consent always has to be informed. And I would have to interject there that I would rather be punched in the face and have a little bit of a beat down than be forced to take an experimental shot. <laughs> well, absolutely. Right? A- absolutely. Yeah, a- absolutely. Especially if it can cause young girls to bleed out vaginally or young men to have myocarditis that might kill them 
a yeah. lot of people that are clot brokers. I mean, we could go on and on. There are certain people who medically cannot take the Myrna. So the Nuremberg Code, a lot of people don't realize the Nuremberg Code wasn't a Holocaust issue. It was based on some medical trials that were actually U.S. trials. But the point is, the code established, kind of like the Hippocratic Oath, you know, there are these seminal moments of consensus agreement throughout history, such as the Hippocratic Oath, the Magna Carta. Nuremberg Code's one of them. Even the communists were on board with the Nuremberg Code during the Cold War. It just says, for medical treatment, you have to have informed consent. You know, I just asked rhetorically, how much informed consent does everybody have when Pfizer wants to hide the data for 55 years on, on the Myrna? Right. You know, that, that, that is the situation there. So, so basically, the second special session, Chairman Kaufman said, um, John, you will head up this task force. And I said, I'd like to have Cisneros on board. We check out the lobby and we bring in the citizen stakeholders. And frankly, doctors and professionals who aren't Fauci medicine, this Fauci monopoly, not just in medicine and public health, but in the media. Yeah. Because as Ronald Reagan said, it's not that bad people sometimes don't know anything. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And right. we can be getting fed this steady pablum of mush about what's really going on health-wise. We know now clearly that this uh, don't treat you till you're so sick you have to go in the hospital. Then we put you on the remdesivir that shuts down your kidneys. Then we trot you over the ventilator and you die there and we cash in 40000 for the ventilator. I mean, that's insanity. Every It is insane. And we had, you know, you were there. We had five doctors come in and speak to the legislators. Yep. and Absolutely. And they all and spoke to that. those. And, yeah. They're all rock stars. And there are plentiful more than that. And these are the heroes that actually were treating at the front end with antivirals and other therapies, which we've done with every other illness. We've always done this in history. They're all using FDA-approved drugs, off-label to some extent, but all excellent drugs are used off-label today. My goodness, antidepressants are used for a multitude of things beyond depression, and aspirin was, was an example, too, that's used off-label for preventing heart attacks, things like that. So all these doctors literally, so a person had a 100% cure rate by using these front-end, what I call cheap, plentiful, safe for decades, antivirals. Well, and, and I'd like to and, and the big, yeah, yeah. I'd like to interject there. We were supposed to do this interview at four, and it's now all close to nine p.m. You texted right. me earlier, and you said that you were helping some persecuted doctors. So yeah, they're looking for lawyers because the Iowa Medical Board is coincidentally now doing letters of inquiry from phantom complaints about all, I think we're up to at least a dozen and a half, uh, basically for prescribing ivermectin and telling some patients that they medically cannot uh, accept the Myrna. So the doctors are get called on the carpet for, why are you saying bad things about the Myrna? And uh, why are you prescribing ivermectin? And they're actually asking for some data that I believe cannot be given legally. Yeah, we got a problem with the Board of Medicine. I interviewed uh, Dr. James, Dr. Molly James, who also came yep. and spoke at our event. And She's awesome. The, the, she cured yeah. so many people. She's got a, a flawless track record. She's brilliant. And she said that 
anyone can file a complaint with the medical board. They don't have to be a patient. The doctor, well, these aren't patients. I, I, w- I would be willing to bet I'm not privy to the cases, obviously, because that's attorney-client privilege. But I, I would be willing to garner that not many of these are concrete cases of patient complaints. Yeah, how can we fix that? How can we make it so at least in Iowa that doctors can prescribe medicine that fits each patient and helps each patient without the, the fear of being under yeah. review by the medical board? Well, great, great question. There are two solutions. A, perhaps we need different people on the medical and pharmacy boards, okay? So how does that happen? Ju- <laughs> well, those are, those are executive branch appointments that are confirmed by the Iowa Senate. Okay. And the second, but, but that path could be laborious. So I do have two amendments that we may attach to this bill after the evidentiary hearing that will deal with the issues of ensuring that those prescriptions can be filled. So this is to the bill that this is to the bill that you're working on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We might attach an amendment to that to protect the physicians and protect the patients who need the ivermectin protocols. It's not just ivermectin, but hydroxychloroquine protocols. There, there are other add-ons to that, like antibiotic. And well, it's and it's insane. I had to, when I went to one of the big companies here in Waukee, I'm not going to name any names, but yeah, it took me days and days to get the results. And then it was a little tag on my test that came through the portal and the paragraph said COVID-19 positive, stay home, drink fluids, review, uh, oh, over-the-counter meds and review your quarantine guidelines. That was it. I had to get a doctor out of Florida to prescribe ivermectin and hydrochloroquine and a a, a steroid and an antibiotic and all the vitamins that are important. And then they had to be sent to Kansas to a uh, compound pharmacy. Then I had to overnight them. And you're talking 72 hours is the best window. That that could be life and death. Yeah. That could be life and death. So So luckily I was on it right away. And the first day I had a fever, I called this doctor. I only got tested because I was considering monoclonal antibodies, which I decided against. But so many other people go two weeks and they're already out of the viral stage and they're into the terrible lung stuff and the respiratory stuff. They're trying to get help and they get put in the hospital and and then you know the story after that. Hey, Andrew, I got a friend who works for a defense contractor not terribly far away from here. He and his other friend, they're both about the same age, 60, uh, were side by side in the cubicles. They both got diagnosed with the Fluorona, which is the corona and the influenza, maybe the nastiest strain there is of it. And my friend's colleague and friend went to what we would call the traditional healthcare system here. And my friend went to another physician in the area who you're not acquainted with yet. But as I said, we've got, I, I know of a dozen personally that have 100% track records on saves using these early antivirals. And my friend got on the ivermectin protocol and was all better in 48 hours. His friend died in the hospital a couple of weeks later, and my friend just ran a marathon at the age of 60. Here's the deal, though. Here's, here's what's really, it is painful for me on the weekends to get a call from a doctor crying because their patient needs ivermectin, and the pharmacist is refusing to fill the prescription. 
Now, in my line of work, I would call that practicing medicine without a license. But, you know, we're talking life and death stuff here, Oliver. Yes. And so I've got doctors. I am spending time on weekends finding friendly pharmacists to save lives to fill these scripts for these doctors. And John. these doctors are the ones that are saving lives, and they're being now persecuted by the medical board. It's crazy. And, John, I just want to – there's going to be a lot of people that hear this interview that don't know the hero – and freedom patriot of Iowa, John Jacobs, like Jacobson, like we do. So can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Th- thanks for asking. So I, I would tell people that I identify first and foremost as a Christian. Second, I identify as a husband and father. And then third, by my professional background, I am an attorney. So I fight for my clients. I fight for my constituents. Those are my clients. And I will go to mattresses for these people because these are life and death issues right now. And what really got me into political elective office was I really wanted to get involved a little bit earlier in life. I started late. I'm in my early 60s already. And I'm term limiting myself voluntarily because I think that's very important uh, for a variety of reasons. That's another good show. I'm, I'm self-term limiting myself. The pro-life issue is what galvanized me into elective office. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was at a pro-life round table with Chuck Grassley and I had posted something on Facebook that I'd asked him some tough questions and somebody said, uh, did you ask him about term limits? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I, I will never, I will never top his record. You know, I, I've run three times. I have one more election in me. But, you know, Oliver, a lot of games are won the fourth quarter. Sometimes the last 13 seconds, as Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs found out, as the Packers found out uh, with their with their punt getting blocked. But, no, it was a pro-life movement. It was the movement to defend the unborn. As an attorney, I realized from the get-go, from being very young in school, that the Roe versus Wade decision was an absolute abomination of law. It is has no finding in law. It was a political greed that under, under the guise of law. And I think that galvanized me to know that we needed to do something. And then the other thing was the Terry Schiavo case, when she literally was essentially put to death by the state. And, and again, as a lawyer, that the fatal flaw there was that the person who was her guardian had a conflict of interest against her best interest because he was the ex-husband who abandoned her. How could he still be her guardian and have control over her life and livelihood? So those two issues really galvanized me to where we need to protect. You know, I've got two grandchildren now, Oliver. They don't even know what the old normal was when I grew up in the 60s and 70s right. as a kid in Marion, Iowa. My children don't know what the, the true old normal was no seat belts riding in the back of the pickup (laughs) oh my goodness the stuff drinking out of hoses and right you know you know the back of the station wagon rolling around i don't think there's a seat belt to be found i mean you know chicken pox parties (laughs) oh my goodness i had i shot my mom in the eye with a dart gun i clunked my brother in the head i was the the mighty thor with a hammer i had a galvanized steel garbage can lid i was captain american bonked my brothers on the head it's amazing any of us ever survived that oh i know i've got stories too 
Back to this. By a million mosquitoes, you know, at night. Oh, yeah. Till one in the morning, riding a bike 10 miles to work. No one thought anything about it. They'll they'll never capture that again. But we're losing our freedom. We absolutely are in a Stalinist Orwellian state that I could not have envisioned even 10 years ago. This is all unfolding. And when you see how it's unfolding and the, the direction it's heading, you fear for your grandchildren. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind you know, of they're, world they're, they're are down, they going to grow up in? Yeah, they're in another Midwestern state. And, uh, you know, I vowed that they're not putting a mask on my four-year-old and two-year-old granddaughters. Oh, gosh. But, but, but you know, there's a governor and Fauci that wants that to happen. And yep. they're certainly not going to put those Myrnas in children. There is no excuse to subject children to that. The risk-benefit analysis is totally against them taking that. They're not a threat to the population. They're not a threat to having deleterious harm unless they've got a massive comorbidity. And and frankly, this is just, this is absolutely atrocious. We're already seeing, I mean, look at the VARES charts. Look, look at the WHO chart. There are 3 million adverse reactions. How can you and, improve and here, 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 on 0% in a child? How can you improve on 0%? Basically, zero percent. Yeah, yeah. And here's the scariest thing. So the Indiana actuaries came out the other day. All of a sudden, the actuarial life insurance that statisticians are seeing a jump that is beyond multiple standards of deviation for unexplained death for men between the ages of 35 and 60. And they're not COVID death. What are they dying from? Heart strokes, young athletes, pilots, we see the uh, exponential increases in morbidity in certain classes of people that are predisposed for a variety of reasons for maybe not taking the Myrna. I mean, obviously, if you've got a high antibody uh, situation and you've just come off of a COVID or a strain, uh, arguably one of the worst things you can do is get the COVID Myrna injection immediately after that. And this is the problem with these employer mandates. Some of them say, ah, you got to get it next week. Well, if you got high antibodies and just got off of COVID, you need worst case scenario several months of a buffer if you if you really even want to get the, the Myrna. Again, what I tell people is we're not anti-vax. We're, this is about medical freedom. And why, you know, let this, me ask you this question. Why are there so yeah. many Republican um legislators that think it's okay for employers to mandate this shot? Well, if you want a brutally honest answer, if you're going to term limit yourself voluntarily like I am, and you're not worried about having perpetual life in the legislature and climbing the ladder to U.S. Senate or governorship or be as it is, you're going to do the right thing always for your people. But if you are constantly in the loop of having to run for re-election, it's all about money for re-election, money to the majority fund, money to give you the visibility to get a committee chairmanship, money from the lobby, and that means money from big pharma, and money from big healthcare, and money from big business. And a lot of the folks in big business are perfectly content control 
every aspect of your life. They're fine with it. They, they want the authority to direct whether or not you get a Myrna because they don't want to get sued and, you know, they don't want to fight the fight. They don't want to take the stand. So, Oliver, it's because of money. Right. So you got to decide, are you, are, do, do you worship mammon or do you have respect for the inherent dignity of every human soul made in the image and likeness of God that has such great dignity that there's an inherent divine right to work. The right, you know, I, there was a Democrat pal in the legislature on and says, there's nothing in the Constitution that guarantees a right to a job in commenting about our bill. And I thought, you know, the most preeminent human right is the ability of man made in the image and likeness of God to earn from the sweat of his labor and the toil of his ingenuity, from the intellect and the will that God gave to that man and woman to earn the just fruits of their labors, to provide for themselves and for their family. There is no more sacred right that any man, woman, or child has than the right to work. And so when I have Republican friends say, well, you can't regulate business. That's not a Republican value. I remind them that it was the Republicans in the United States Senate and Congress that got the Kennedy-Johnson Civil Rights Bill of 1964 over the goal line. And those civil rights statutes are pertinent to that because the, the argument always was when there was blatant discrimination of African Americans in the South, where they were literally nullifying murder convictions in juries where they were not allowing people of any sort of minority background to use restaurants, gasoline stations, hotels, not to mention water fountains and seats on buses. And the, and, and the comment was like, ah, you can't regulate us. We're a private business. We're not the government. We're not the federal government, so the Bill of Rights doesn't apply. We're not the state government. But you know what? The Article One of the U.S. Constitution says that with respect to civil rights issues, you can regulate commerce between and among the states. In my line of work, if we took the attitude that you cannot regulate business at all, every file that I touch is regulated by 15 different entities annually. I'm not joking. And so, you know, sauce for the goose. Why the selective concern about regulatory overreach? We've always intervened on behalf of the individual against the corporate entity in American law when the issue impinges on civil rights. And civil rights, bodily autonomy, informed consent, and no coercion, no assault, that's, that's the definition of civil rights. And none of, that, right. none of that exists at this time with this situation. It's worse. Because there are protections of law that should have worked that didn't. For instance, we have EEOC ADA protections for people that could get exemptions based on medical. And the Biden administration interpreted those rules grievously narrow. We have the absolute religious exemption right under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 64. Again, not interpreted according to law. There are so many people that are rejecting these religious exemptions, including hospitals and healthcare providers that are supposedly faith-based. These are protections that are there in law that aren't even being enforced. It's well, elective law enforcement. I think 
I'm, you know, and I'm more of a libertarian than anything else. And I would be okay with mandates if we weren't paying for the distribution of this drug. We weren't paying for the advertising of this drug. There was right. informed consent. Businesses were held liable if there was an injury or damage, and pharmaceutical companies were held liable. Nobody would See, be mandating it. You're, you're brilliant, Oliver, because that's the principle of justice that makes those scales of justice tilt against the petitioner. There would be there would be to, no business. No there would be no yeah. business mandating this experimental shot that doesn't keep you from getting or spreading this virus if they were held liable for damages. A absolutely. And this is the unfairness of this because there's no recourse, there's no remedy, and they are forcing risk on you without your compliance. And so you've got this, look, look at the front end, people would say, well, why are they suppressing those front end antivirals? Well, you know what? Get a, to get a vaccine manufacturing permit, you got to show that no other drugs work. Get it? So you obviously are suppressing. If you're trying to roll these Myrna's out, you got to say, ah, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, yeah, they're not very good. We got we got to, we, we need to mass produce this new Myrna. So I think that was the reason for some of the suppression at the front end, because you, you got to show nothing else works to develop the Myrna. But as we know, the Myrna is not a vaccine by any traditional medical or scientific definition. They literally had to change the definition of vaccine to give it vaccine status, to give it the liability immunity, because the VAERS charge incident reports are so high that they all would have been bankrupt by now with lawsuits because of the liability they would have had under the VAERS reporting system. Yeah, and then they're going to go in and get FDA approval, and then they're going to promote their own pre-early, you know, treatment drugs well, that and, and, don't and work. Then I've had, I, yeah, I've had a representative say to me, well, you know, the FDA would never lie and give us a drug that wasn't safe for us. And I thought, <laughs> all the time, I thought of all the times, I mean, you can look at the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, you can look at the right. thalidomide, the thalidomide babies, but I just tell people, if you're watching Fox News, and every time you see a lawyer on there doing commercials saying, have you been injured by a blank? Every one of those things was previously FDA approved. I think, I think Dr. Denmark, that's what he spoke about. He said, I think it was billions of dollars they've paid out in fines for bribing doctors or releasing drugs on the market that caused injury. And they knew that it, they would, et cetera. I mean, these aren't entities that we should put our trust in. Well, Oliver, if you don't, if they don't believe you and me, and they think we're we're partisans, I would say this: the most committed liberal Democrat, I'm sure he would never vote for me, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is the scion of the Kennedy royalty family, Democratic political family in the United States, he has actually written the best book on Fauci and public health and the scandals. It is well footnoted, it is well researched, it is a compendium of magnificence. The book is brand new by Simon and Schuster. It's out. He nails it. And this is a Democrat partisan, and he is he, he spoke brilliantly at the weekend march uh, a little over a week ago. 
He said, it is time to end the war against doctors of conscience who have been so heroic during this. He gets it, but the reason he gets it is because he has put together, as a, as a successful attorney in his own right, he has put together one of the most well-researched, well-footnoted chronologies and uh, synopses of what's going on and the calamitous errors that there have been in national health. People need to wake up. This, this is not a partisan issue. This is an issue of malevolence versus liberty. It really is. All right, now I'm going to have to buy it. I've looked at it several times. I've thought about ordering it. <laughs> it's hard to get. It, it's hard to get. It was It was where you, the demand was exceeding the supply at the front end. Oh, my but goodness. See, here, here's my concern. Some of my friends on the left, I mean, Oliver, here's the difference. I'm a devoted, lifelong, Goldwater, Reagan, Trump Republican, conservative, pro-life, However, I am not a hack for anybody, and when there are misdeeds going on in our party's ideology, it needs to be called out. I mean, we got to be honest and say that the Iraq war was a calamity. We have to be honest and talk about errors that are made by our own party. And I would say that some of us, the Republican Party, are willing to do that criticism. My, my chagrin with some of my Democratic colleagues is they also have problems with the Republican Party, but they are unwilling right now to do the due diligence, and they need the courage to pierce the veil of ignorance that is there and to do some heavy lifting and to have the conscience and the courage to say, you know what, our Democratic Party is failing us here, too. Yeah. You know, the erstwhile Democratic Party, the workers, they are not supporting the workers today with this situation of uh, medical freedom. They're yeah, what happened to my body, down. my choice, right? And what happened to labor? What happened to labor rank and file people that don't want to be subject to this? Do labor union bosses and Democrat pals get to decide their lives for them? Yeah. I mean, this is unfair to their own constituency. Victor Frankl was all about meaning in life, and he said one of the greatest forms of meaning is creativity in your work, you know, being able to work and have a job and have a purpose. And so, so true. for them to have a, a vaccine passport ban bill that exempts employers and medical facilities, everybody has to go to work for meaning in life. We saw how bad, how, how what happened when jobs were shut down, people were locked in, suicide Amen. rates, alcoholism, drug use, all the Absolutely. issues that stem from that. We need to work. We need to have a purpose. Take that away. That, Everybody has to yeah, go to the doctor once in a while. Yeah, that's incredibly prescient. But that, that, that's so, so, so absolutely true. And you take that away. Look, so you, you've right now basically got leftist leadership in, in the executive branch of the United States government under Biden-Harris and in the Congress with Schumer and Pelosi. They have their own trifecta there. And so basically, their draconian one-size-fits-all mandate push is hurting mostly of all demographic groups, African-Americans and Latinos, who have been up till now some of the most 
uh, Myrna resistance for a variety of reasons. So the, the left is even penalizing their own base by disrupting their employment opportunities of the minority coalitions that they have cobbled together. This is this is how much of a, a shadow religion this Fauciism has become and this ten-headed hydra in U.S. public health. And unfortunately, its tentacles reach everywhere into local hospital protocols. It's a horrid situation in which we find ourselves. It, it really should be sobering to any American Literally now, the politicization of medicine to literally the physician you choose in the hospital that you select may make the difference whether you win or, or whether you live or whether you die. Exactly. Yeah, it is It is scary. It's insanity. I've talked to many doctors about it. They think it will collapse soon. Yep. And uh, yep. we're already seeing more doctors branch out on their own cash doctors, uh, telemedicine doctors. Now we have to make sure medical boards are not persecuting them. I absolutely agree. I want to get back to your bill. I have it pulled up, the draft too, yeah. and this thing has teeth in it. Tell people yeah, about the bill. What does it do? What are sure. the repercussions for et cetera? Because people yeah. need to know about it. Uh, think of breathing with two lungs. The one-two punch is as follows. The one lung is a lung that says your medical data is private. That's foundational because the medical data is the coin of the realm. It's the commodity that the bad guys are using to get you in trouble at work. If they've got your medical data, they know whether you've been vaccinated or not. And, of course, we're only segregating uh, in corporate America today people with uh, – what your VAC status is, because as, as you well know, if I'm hiring, I cannot ask anybody about whether they're planning on having a baby, whether they have infectious hepatitis or tuberculosis, what their HIV status is. I, I'm not allowed to ask those questions. So it restores for employees that may or may not be able to get the MRNA or want to get the MRNA, some medical privacy for them that we afford every single other person to the extent we've got HIPAA laws that are draconian in their, in their protection for people. That's step one. I want to say step something about that, too, is I've yeah. got friends that have had the shot that have told their employers to go jump in a lake, and it's none of their business whether they've had it or not. That's correct. So it doesn't That's matter correct. which side of the fence you land on. No one should be able to ask you that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I would get fired if I... Uh, asked or hired someone based on answers to those questions for any other healthcare condition, any other. Now, secondly, the second part of the bill then is given that on the privacy of the data. Under no circumstances, regardless of who knows what or what knows who, no employer can, as a condition of hiring or terminating or job advancement, you cannot discriminate against them. And not only in an employee relationship, but you cannot discriminate against any island for any reason. Provision of health services, you can't threaten to withdraw health services from them. You can't uh, prevent them from going to uh, social activities, uh, transportation, all of that. It's protective. They're, they're 
absolutely based on your MRNA status. And again, I call it MRNA because it's not a vaccine. I'm going to control the narrative here. These are not vaccines. These are gene therapies. Exactly. So it absolutely prevents any discrimination. Well, and here's the thing that I loved, line 31 yeah. Exclude, limit, segregate, refuse to serve, require a facial covering or other yeah. vaccination status label for right. require additional testing. How will yep. this affect my kids that are playing in the NCAA and colleges in Iowa that have to right. test twice a week and once before? It, it, it would change the game. It yeah. Would change the game. Because they have to test so twice believe, a week, believe, 24 not, hours before the- a game. Yeah, believe it or not, not even the NAIA or Division Three basketball supersedes an Iowa statute. Isn't that nice to know? There, there's some law 101. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice to know. Reality. How do how do we get this passed? But 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 let's finish up the bill before we get into teeth. that. We got some teeth. We got some teeth in the bill, and this is why some of the business community doesn't like it. Why the lobby uh, is being placated by some of my colleagues. Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Well, there's a lot of groups that don't like it, you know, because there's penalties if you discriminate. But, hey, uh, as I always tell people, then don't discriminate. You don't have anything to worry about. Exactly. So what's the the penalty? I remember remember the election bill. We put in a felony plank that if an auditor deliberately violates the law, that's not just a a minor infraction, but that is a rise to the level of election tampering. Uh, that that's now a felony. And they were all screaming and crying, don't do that. We're scared of that. Don't put that in there. And I said, well, then don't commit a felony. And so the teeth here are, you're, if you're a business, you could conceivably lose your license or your permitting. Every business in Iowa has to be approved through the Secretary of State certification process to do business in Iowa. And many need various licenses and permits based on the specialization or the type of industry that they're in. So, uh, yeah, there, there are teeth in this bill. Yeah, and there were no teeth in the vaccine passport mandate bill. No, such that if you remember the, the bill we passed uh, in October, I believe. HF 902? First, yeah, the, the, first, the first paragraph said you can't fire anybody. But the second paragraph says, but if you do, they can file for unemployment. Right, right. And then so I, which, which I was... Made me think, which made me think that the lobby wrote the bill that, that, the business, that the business lobbyists were okay with the second paragraph that was, but if you do fire them, they can still get unemployment. Right. And it's supposed to be a wellness statement or a religious statement, yet employers were still giving them three-page or four-page questionnaires about their religious convictions. Totally un- yeah, totally unprecedented totally unlawful and of course plus just the default position of you have to beg for more straw to to make your tally a brick you know oh we'll give you we'll give you a little bit more straw to make your tally a brick uh you know we'll let you uh, file for an exemption why should you have to file for an exemption those rights uh pre-exist well yeah the constitution doesn't need exemptions right that's exactly right, my friend. Well said. Well, someone else said it, but <laughs> I just <laughs> well, there's that it. old adage: we we need not so much be told as to be reminded. We need to remind people what some of our laws are that we're supposed to uphold in this country. For exactly. Out loud. You know, my attorney uh, told me 
and I've read through it, but I haven't studied it. He said, you need to read the Iowa Constitution because it's one of the most powerful state constitutions in the United States. And, and you know what? Not only that, but it has a beautiful separation of powers and checks and balances that I will just say very tersely and concisely, we do not respect the independent sovereignty of each of the branches of the government. We've had mission creep between and among branches and jurisdictions and even abdication and surrendering of constitutional responsibilities and duties. And that ain't right. We, we've got to address this with some real sobriety going forward about the proper balances and responsibilities and duties between and among the branches because we have a lot of mission creep going on at different branches trying to usurp power from other different branches. And that that is basically based on a lack of knowledge of the Iowa Constitution. Yeah, maybe it needs to be reread by every legislator. I think we couldn't do it often enough. So I want to get on to what is the next step for this bill? And then the next question would be, how can we support you in getting it passed? Okay, I'm going to take the last first. The way to support getting it passed is to write to every member of the state government committee because that committee is going to hear the report from the task force subcommittee that's going to hold an evidentiary hearing. And that will be the next big step. When this bill is filed, Chairman Bobby Kaufman is going to assign it to a subcommittee. I presume that I will be chairing that sub. And I plan on holding not the 15-minute subcommittee. It's normally blocked out for time. I plan on conducting a full evidentiary public hearing in that subcommittee. And we're going to go until the last person testifies. We need every physician, every nurse, every mom, every dad, every employee, they need to hear from the people because what they're going to hear from are 35 registered lobby groups in opposition to the bill. And if the people don't show up for that subcommittee meeting, they're going to think that the lobby represents the people. And this movement is organic. It's in every county. It's grassroots. This is the most authentically organic real movement of the people I've seen here in my career. And they need to know, for, for instance, most of the people in the legislature are not aware of the efficacy of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Most are not aware of the catastrophic failure of remdesivir. Many are not aware of the nexus between federal public health and the tentacles that extend into local hospitals. Many are unaware of what's being done right now at the Board of Medicine and what's not being done at the Board of Pharmacy. Many do not realize the types of groups that cannot take the MRNA because of pre-existing health or medical situations. None of this has ever been talked about. And do uh, any of them realize that we have a vaccine for a wild virus and now we have a virus, what, Omicron, that is not related, so it, it won't protect you against that? Well, I think they're understanding that this week, because masked and unmasked, Omicron is running rampant through the entire legislature, and 
everyone is just saying I'm battling a cold. It's not the bug, but it is the bug, and everybody knows it. Some probably aren't even getting tested for it, and it's Omicron. We right. know that. I've and, had, do- and so, I've had and, doctors and, 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 and tell almost me. Every, almost, yeah, almost everybody in the legislature is is got the Myrna, and almost and half the legislature is walking around in masks. I've had doctors tell me that that is the God's natural vaccination, that once they get that, they'll have natural immunity. Well, the doctors that have got the 100% cure rate that I've talked to are were very encouraged that Omicron might give us that very immunity, yes. Exactly. Yes. Did you watch the COVID-19 second opinion with uh, Senator Ron Johnson and all the medical professionals from around the world that he had? I, I have not seen that, but I've read snippets from so many of them. You know, we've got some heroic people out there. I, You know, the one thing, Ryan Cole, who's Mayo trained, He's horrified by what he's seeing in the autopsies of some of these people who've died. He's seeing where some of the spike proteins have done organ damage. Ryan Cole is on the panel. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I've seen him uh, somewhat comprehensively with some of his video presentations. And obviously, there's just so much out there. Again, people aren't doing their due diligence. They don't want to believe that there could be the level of dishonesty and corruption also that has been part of the narrative, frankly, all anybody has gotten is basically the mainstream media talking points. It's only half the story. So this evidentiary subcommittee hearing is going to be the rest of the story. People are going to hear things that they've never heard for the first time. We're going to have testimony, documentation, medical experts, and we're going to have it for legislative history for time immemorial. And this probably will happen Late next week, early the week after, we got to find a time block where I can start it late enough to go to 9, 10, or 11 at night if I need to. Because we're going to have multiple physicians in here and others. Okay, uh, so here's what I'd like to ask of you. That the minute you set that date and time that you let me know. I will. And Kaufman will set the date and time. So when he gives me the green light, then I will give you the green light. And so, so our mission to recap is we need people at the subcommittee, and then after that, at the subcommittee recommendation will go to the state government committee for a full vote. Now, here's the rub. That committee is approximately, what, 13 to 9-ish, 14 to 9, Republican to Democrat. The Democrats are pretty much all going to be no. We can't lose more than two votes on that committee from the Republican side to get that out of committee. So do we have a list of who's on that committee? Yeah, if you go to legis.iowa.gov and pull up the committee tab, go to House State Government, I would say contact every Republican House member. So legis.iowa.gov and then go to what? Pull Pull up the committee it will give you a whole roster of everybody on the, uh, the on the committee there. And, and, uh, and, and with their with their legislative email address. What's the name of the committee? And it is the State Government Committee. It's really the most powerful committee, I would say, in the uh, Iowa House of Representatives. What I would do for you right here, since we are uh, on Radio Live, I'll just recap the Republicans on the committee in alpha order. After uh, seniority of office, Bobby Kaufman, chair, Brooke Bowden, vice chair. Obviously, I'm on there as chair of the task force. 
The other Republicans are Rob Bacon from District 48, Jane Bloomingdale from District 51, Jacob Bossman from District 6, Megan Jones from District 2, Shannon Lundgren from District 57, Ann Meyer from District 9, Joe Mitchell from District 84, Tom Moore from District 21, Carter Nordman from District 19, and Mike Sexton from District 10, along with Brent Segris from District 16. We can only lose two of those. We got to keep those Republicans all supportive of this bill to get it to the floor. Well, I will post a link to this. I've got the I've got the state government committee right in front of me in the description. Yeah, there's 14 of us. Okay. And so we can only lose two votes. Wow. So, okay. And, and so, that's, so after the evidentiary hearing, that will be very powerful with the compendium of evidence that will be presented. Okay. And, and that will give us the momentum to refer that to the state government committee. But the major battle is going to be in-state government to get it to the floor. Okay, and how much notice will we have before this meeting that it's going to happen and what time? Legally, there has to be 48 hours notice before a sub. I can promise you that. Okay, and so that'll that's the least amount of time we'll have to get our doctors there and our islands for freedom there and everybody else. It, it, exactly, but it's your house. You guys have been there before. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the lobby's always camped out there and... You know, there are going to be 35 corporate big health and big farmer groups registered against this bill. They're going to be hating on it. And so people are going to see cash register signs when they see those guys. But then if they see a flood of people come in, being very uh, civil, professional, uh, great family people, people of good Christian uh, decorum that we've seen so many times, they're going to say, wow, how can we deprive these decent, God-fearing uh, law-abiding civil Iowans, how can we deprive them of their God-given and constitutional freedoms? That will, that, that registers, it resonates when real-life human beings show up at that capital. It's powerful. It's just like when Jimmy Stewart brought in the Boy Scouts and Mr. Smith goes to Washington when he was being uh, basically railroaded out of the U.S. Senate by all the lobby-laden interests. I mean, that was 1930s Frank Capra. You know, it's the same issues throughout time of what moves politics, special interests versus the people have always been at the crux of the argument. You know, the mantra from that movie is when Jimmy Stewart told his love interest, who was a reporter, as well as his enemies, that he said, my father told me that the hopeless causes were the only ones worth fighting. And he was going to go to the mat and filibuster. And, uh, you know, it's only magnificent Frank Capra and John Ford could do in their movies. This great American conundrum of, of darkness, but the light always overpowers, especially the light of truth. You know, these are great recurring themes. We're living it today. You know, when, when I was younger, and read about our great U.S. history, I always thought, what would it be like to have lived in an era that really counted? You know what? One has been thrust upon us. We're living in this time and place. And I 
am grateful to God Almighty that he has chosen us, Oliver, to have the privilege of living in this time and space to do good, to avoid evil, to carry out his will, and to fight for the right. He chose us for this time and this place. Jesus Christ did not come to earth to populate hell. He came to save us and to love us. And we're here in our own way to bring about, try to help people, you know, at least try to save them from mortal harm and to love them and know that their voice counts. I think those are pretty worthy goals, my friend. And you've you've summed up what this uh, podcast is about and what Iowans for Freedom is about. I mean... I feel like God has led me into this fight every step of the way. I mean, I started with, I wrote a book called The Way, A Small Book of Wisdom about spirituality and connection with God. You've done great stuff, Oliver. You've done tremendous stuff, and a lot of people are in great admiration of of what you've done. And I just pray that we all have that outpouring of those gifts of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and counsel and piety and fear of the Lord and courage we need more courage i think all people people there that would do the right thing they just need to drink a cup of courage they do and they just need to listen to their hearts yeah because everyone has that voice it's just they have to turn and listen and then they have to follow it yeah oliver goes back to my two granddaughters someday when i am long gone i want them to know that no matter how this came out that their grandfather was not silent and that he took a stand and was heard. That's why I'm doing this. They will need to know, it might be 50 years ago, that because of what people did before them, they are going to need to do that in their generation. That's why I'm doing this. And we need more people like you, and they will know that. I mean, we're born free, but there's always someone trying to take it away from us. Absolutely. And I encourage your, your wide listenership. Folks, roll up your sleeves and get involved. I don't believe politicians should camp out in office for 50 years because after about eight years there, you become a perpetual life machine in the legislature and you will lose your focus and vision on who it is you're serving and what you need to do. And that's why it's, it's precisely, you know, God gave us time. Time is a convention for us as humans. You know, it's the eternal now for Almighty God. He's not confined by time and space. He's past, present, and future. He gives time as a convention for humanity. But think about it. It's precisely because time is so finite. And even me, by self-term-limiting myself, Oliver, I know every day is finite. It's precisely because Every day is finite, that every second of every day I'm not wasting because I know I have a limited time to, we can't wait. It's like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we can't wait. Why we can't wait? We can't wait any longer. Time is finite. This is where I am put in this time, in this place. We all get to carry the ball for a first down, the long touchdown drive. I won't be there at the goal line, but maybe I can at least. On third and two, it get a fullback plunge and get a first down to move the chains so that we got a first down on our own 30 instead of our own 20. And then your listeners have got to saddle up 
and get the game, run for office, saddle up, because everybody has these great God-given talents to have a voice in the public square. The whole idea of free speech is that all these voices compete in the public square and that the free speech itself, it needs to be absolutely uh, wide and not narrowed because robust free speech is a safety valve that keeps the pressure cooker from boiling. And what the left hasn't figured out is by trying to quash all of our free speech with this massive high tech and, and big healthcare censorship, that they're infuriating people. If they would just let us have the debate, pressures would loosen. And that's the, the salient virtue of this evidentiary subcommittee hearing for the first time ever in any governmental entity in Iowa. You're going to hear the rest of the story. Not the one you get from the medical or pharmacy board. Not the one you get from Fauci at Public Health. Not the one you get from the monolithic media. Exactly. I hope people have really listened to this and re-listened to it because... And I haven't spoken much in the last couple of minutes because John just hits on everything. I mean, now is the moment. Now is the time. Every moment is the most important moment in your life. You know, if you're sitting there and you get a text from us or an email that says, man, the subcommittee hearing is happening in two days. We need to show up. That's an important moment in our history. That is going to determine whether or not we are going to be carrying papers like Nazi Germany, or we are going to be able to go to the civic center or to see our loved one who's dying in the hospital or to our job without an ID that the rest of the world wants us to have. So this is important, and I hope that you've really been listening. And John, I want to be cognizant of your time. I could talk to you for two hours about this. (laughs) I mean, we're going to have to have a couple more conversations for the podcast because there's so much we can talk about but i want to thank you so much for everything you're doing i i I want to just close and tell your audience uh how much i admire you because you remind me in your physical countenance you've got the solzhenitsyn beard and and (laughs) alexander solzhenitsyn was the conscience of the 20th century i i i vote him the conscience of the 20th century if Solzhenitsyn were here today, we know he'd be on our side. For but sure. the most important thing, as, as Lincoln said, was it's not, is God on our side? Are we on God's side? I believe we are in this situation. And we're balancing legitimate concerns for public health with that need to maintain autonomy over our very persons. And by the grace of God, you know, we plow forward. And I would just say, God bless and God love everybody who's been listening in. I'm very, very honored to be part of this program, Oliver. John, thank you so much for joining us. And I I do look forward to future conversations. I will be there every step of the way on this bill. We will be promoting it to our members. We, You've got our support because we, we want that medical freedom. You know, we uh, Iowa has been longing for it. You know, this state should have it. We need to be a bastion of freedom for the rest of the world to see. Amen. Why not Iowans? Why not Iowans? After Iowa? all, we're Iowans. After we're all, Iowans. we're Iowans. And, and you helped get that ball rolling early in session with that tremendous medical panel. You guys have really been uh, on the cutting edge and catalyst of this. So I, I, I am proud to walk arm in arm with you, my friend. You too, brother. We're not going away. <laughs> No, we're not. No. And, uh, 
God bless you, and thanks again for having me on. Thank you, and thank you, Iowans, for freedom, for all your support. And if you want to support this bill and be on the inside track to freedom in Iowa, text the word FREEDOM to 888-702-1791. Text the word FREEDOM to 888-702-1791. We will not spam you. You can opt out at any time, but we will text you the minute we know when that subcommittee meeting is going to happen. We need to show up in force. We need to let our legislators know that we are not going to stand for any more mandates in Iowa and that we want them to pass this bill. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Freedom Factor, please share it and subscribe to our channel. There has been an attack on freedom of speech, and there is only one narrative that is currently being accepted in the mainstream media. Any information that is in opposition to that narrative is being censored. So it's up to us to share the truth in every way that we can. Alone, we may only be one drop of water, but together we are the ocean.